All right, let's look at, let's pray, then we'll look at <coughs> the last portion of Exodus chapter 3 this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity we have to close out uh, the Lord's Day in your house as we open the word, as we study the word tonight. We pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray this evening for the ones that have been mentioned. We lift them up to you. We ask that you would intervene on their behalf. Restore them according to your will. Be with our children this evening as they're uh, preparing as well and learning of you, our youth. We thank you for who you are. We ask that you'd uh, provide traveling graces for those that are away from us this evening. And we're looking forward to this coming week as we have opportunity to share the faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have two books left, which is a good thing. So again, this actually three, because I have one up here. The Resurrection and You, just remember, Great Baptist Word, they are free. So remember that, take them home, read them, and uh, pass them along. All right, Exodus chapter 3. So we have been focused on uh, primarily uh, verse uh, 14. And have spent a number of Sunday evenings looking at this particular expression of the deity of uh, God, found, the highest expression of deity of the Lord found in the Old Testament. It's carried forward in the New Testament, and we'll see that uh, in just a moment. We talked about a number of uh, uh, characteristics of God. Last Sunday night we looked at uh, the aseity of God, which is basically... Uh, comes from the Latin A-C. It means the simplicity of God. God is not a complex being like you and I. In other words, he has no nothing, he has no parts, he's spirit. So because of that, his uh, attributes are all bound in that spirit. The next to last bullet on this particular slide says he's near to us as the giver and not the getter. So with no parts and no physical components, as Jesus taught the woman at the well, and as we know, God is spirit. And we'll see that as we go through this particular passage again, and then on into the latter part of the book of Exodus. Remember that what Moses is seeing is a manifestation. He is not seeing God directly. No man can look at God and live. Now, the God-man, Jesus Christ, embodies the attributes of God. However, when we are face-to-face -face with God, or if we were to pass from this life into the life that is to come without Christ, we would be basically eliminated. No man can see the, the holiness and the, the goodness, the, the uh, manifestation of light that is contained in the spirit that we call uh, God. So, next slide, brother. I have my shirt, but Vance is wearing his tonight. I didn't, didn't wear my, uh, didn't put mine on, okay? Uh, so, what this means is that God uh, does not have an existence, or he doesn't have essence or attributes as components of which he is unified as being, all right? And I know some of this is kind of, well, what, what really are we saying? All, all that theologians are saying is that he's not picking and choosing these things because 
He is simply God, and because he's simply God, all of these attributes, love, grace, mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all these things are him. I am. They are him. So he is, and that's what he says, I am who I am. He is in his existence, in his essence, in his attributes. And John Owen, one of the great Puritan writers, stated that the attributes of God, which alone seem to be distinct things in the essence of God, are all of them essentially the same with one another, and every one the same with the essence of God itself. Case in point, when we amplify an attribute of God, love, mercy, or grace, or goodness, or kindness, when we amplify one of those over the others, we have created an idol. Because God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, God is goodness, God is kindness. The kindness does not exceed his love, or his mercy, or his grace. This is the nature of who God is. Now, we tend to do that because we look at people and we say, well, they have attributes that are greater here than I have, and I have attributes that are greater than those people. Not so with God, okay? Uh, this means that God just is the love by which he loves. And we could turn to 1 John 4, which talks about uh, God as love and how we are to love because of that. And God is the wisdom by which he is wise. And he is the power by which he is powerful. He is the mercy by which he is merciful. He is the grace by which he is graceful. So all of this is bound up in what the Lord is saying to Moses. As we go through the book of Exodus, it's going to be revealed. These attributes of God will be revealed in um, a greater human understanding. Moses doesn't understand this. <laughs> we don't understand it today. So when we talk about the divine attributes of God, we are talking about his divinity itself. What makes God God? All of these. Not one, all of them. And this comprises the goodness of who God is. One of the things that he's stressing here, and we'll see that toward the, uh, <coughs> the latter part of chapter 3. Look at, uh, look at verse 18. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and, your, and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. I will give this people, the Hebrews, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you will not go empty-handed. These are slaves. This did not happen when the Emancipation Proclamation took place in our country. Slaves were not given goods. They were not given jewels, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing. But here, God says, you've been slaves. And this is chattel slavery. This is no different. In fact, in many ways, it may 
be even more egregious than what was in this country for many years, and then other countries as well. It's not unique to America. So this is the goodness of God as he pours out himself to his people. We've looked at uh, some of that on Sunday morning, talking about the privileges that we have as children of God. So when you talk about the attributes of God, remember that. They are known to us just the embodiment of what it means to be God. And so without God, not only would we not exist, but without God, there wouldn't be any love, there wouldn't be any wisdom, any mercy, grace, justice, ad infinitum. There wouldn't be. This is the extension God has extended uh, through Jesus Christ himself into this world. So, and we praise him for that. Next slide. So when we look at the latter part of chapter 3, the, uh, Yahweh is presenting himself to Moses, and then in the, the close of the chapter in verses 15 through 22, he is preparing him to go back to Egypt. Now, chapter 4, of course, Moses begins to, to backtrack, okay? But he is preparing Moses to go to Egypt to meet with the Hebrews and then confront Pharaoh. Now, this is no small task. Uh, Moses been, has been gone for 40 years. And the Pharaoh that is in Egypt apparently does not know of Moses. Now, he will, but he doesn't know. And we'll see that as we move through here. So, in verse 11... Moses has this self-deprecating statement. He says, Moses said, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So then God begins to say, Well, that's a good question. Who are you? Well, the question, Moses, is not who are you. The question is who am I? And so Moses can go with that, uh, with that favor. He gives him four things to do. And in verse 16, he says, go and gather the elders. In other words, go and speak to the leaders of the Hebrew people that are there in um, Egypt. In verse 17, he says, and I have said, I will bring you. In other words, I keep my promises. I've told you this, and I'm going to do it. Nothing's going to uh, waylay my hand or my purposes. Verse 18, he says, they will heed your voice, and then you'll go to the king of Egypt. So gather the people together, get their support, then go to Pharaoh. And at first, Pharaoh's not going to care. Who is this God that I should listen to him? That's what he says chapters 5 and 6. So in verse 20, God says, I promise I keep, I'm going to strike them. I'm going to send the plagues. And he said at the end of this, he's not only going to let you go, but he's going to give the people favor. They're going to want you to leave. You and your, your, all your contingency, get out. Now we know the story. He follows them toward the Red Sea, and we'll learn of that as we go, go through the book of uh, Egypt. So, next slide. This embodiment of who God is is so powerful in the Old Testament that Jesus used it in the New Testament. 
And he used it primarily in the Gospel of John. So I want to look at these. This will, we'll close this out tonight looking at these. There are seven pronouncements that Jesus, where he used the phrase I am. There is an eighth one uh, that occurs at uh, him being captured in Gethsemane, but it's not part usually of the litany that's found in these seven. So turn with me to John chapter 6. One of the ways that Jesus presented his, his uh, deity, the fact that he was God the Son, is through these statements that uh, are made in John's gospel. Um, John chapter 6 begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000, one of the great miracles and one of the uh, only two miracles that are found in all four of the uh, gospels. And look, if you would, at verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So drop down to verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. We talked about that this morning. Then, all right, they, they measured him, okay? And he came up warning. Look at verse 48. <clears throat> I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So Jesus takes them back to the Exodus. And then in verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him uh, is, my, uh, is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Bread sustains physical life. It was a um, it was found at basically every meal the Hebrews ate. And today we have people that say, "Well, we shouldn't eat too much, too much bread," but this was a staple for the Hebrew people. It sustains physical life. Christ offers and sustains our spiritual life. Let's jump ahead. John chapter 8. <clears throat> First part of John 8 begins with uh, the uh, religious leaders bringing the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And verse 11, she said, uh, uh, verse 10, he says, Who, Who's condemned you? Where are your accusers? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the world, and John begins his gospel, talking about light and darkness, the fact that men love darkness rather than light. And then Jesus, about halfway through the gospel or so, says that I'm the light of the world. And because I'm the light of the world, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. One of the great analogies found in the gospel of John, lightness, the, the, the good that is attached to light, and the evil that is attached to darkness. So the world is lost in darkness. And Christ is its light. He taught about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at John 10. 
John 10, most think, is a, a parable, okay? If so, it is the only parable in the Gospel of John. Uh, and there, in chapter 10, look at verse 7. Uh, then said Jesus to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. <coughs> so this is a great teaching of Jesus about being the, the good shepherd and being the door. And all of this goes back again to Exodus. To Actually, it, it predates the temple. It goes back to the tabernacle. And we'll learn as we go through Exodus that as the gateway for the tabernacle was to the east, that that was considered the door. And Jesus is here alluding to the fact that he is the door and that he leads in and he leads out. There is protection in the door of the sheep. He protects their flocks from predators. Um, shepherds in Christ's day would often build little corrals, little rock corrals. Not very high. They don't have to be high. Sheep are not the brightest animals in God's kingdom. So enough to keep them corralled. And there has to be an entranceway. They won't jump over the wall so that you have to have a, an opening where they will walk through. The shepherd would carry his rod, his staff. And to keep them from leaving at night, he just laid his rod over that opening. And they wouldn't leave. So Jesus here is using, obviously, the analogy that, his, that you and I as believers are sheep and that he is the shepherd, so he is uh, protecting us. Look, at, if you would, at verse uh, 11 of chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I'm the door, but I'm also the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then in verse 14... He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. So that analogy is carried forward. Jesus is our shepherd because we are uh, the sheep. So uh, great understanding of the I am, the sufficiency of God. Look at John 11. John 11, of course, is the resurrection of Lazarus. This is the last great miracle before Jesus is betrayed and uh, in John 11 and verse uh, look at verse 23 Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha said to him I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day so she understood the teaching of the Old Testament remember now when she says this the New Testament has not been written so she understands the resurrection that was taught in the Old Testament Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And so he says, I'm resurrection, but not only that, he says, I am life. So within the resurrection is the promise of eternal life. And that is always through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is eliminated in Christ. So that's the, the fifth understanding of the, of the great uh, I am statement found in uh, Exodus chapter 3. Look, if you would, at uh, John 14. This is perhaps one of the more um, <clears throat> familiar passages. Uh, it's a very simple passage, beautiful, beautiful language that's contained here. Jesus is comforting his disciples. And uh, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Jesus said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Uh, Thomas said to him, rather, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me... You would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So there are three things here, and I'm not, not going to spend a great deal of time on but he says I'm the way. In other words, the, the exclusivity, again, of our faith. Uh, there's only uh, one way to God, and that is always through his son. Uh, he also says I'm the truth. Everything that I speak, God doesn't lie. I don't lie because I'm God. And so the truth that I speak to you, if you know me, I've taught you about my Father, you will know uh, my Father, and you will know me. And then he reiterates the life, which he had mentioned in John chapter 11. I am the promise of uh, eternal life. So Jesus is truth, and he is the knowledge of God. To know Jesus is to know God. And then... Uh, also, great passage, John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, these last two, in, uh, specifically, but you could probably keep, you know, include number five in there as well. But the last two, specifically, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's not, this is not a sermon he is preaching to. Um, to the religious people, the irreligious people. This is a teaching to his disciples, and it's a teaching that occurs after Judas is gone. Judas left in chapter 13. So there's a very intimate gathering, a very um, compassionate gathering. There's a lot of joy that's taking place even though the disciples don't understand that he's going to be betrayed and crucified and Jesus himself is, is comforting them uh, he says again in verse 4 abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides on the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. And then he breaks into this litany about love, how the Father loves him, how he loves the Father, how we're to love each other, how we're to love him, how we're to love 
the Father. So in these, we see some of the attributes of God displayed and taught by Jesus himself. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that provides physical sustenance to you. He says, I'm the light of the world. I am the effulgence of God. I'm the radiance of God. I'm the brightness of God. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the one that provides you uh, protection. I look over you. I take care of you. He says, I am the good shepherd. I will uh, shepherd you through this life if you would but follow me. And when you pass on, not only will I shepherd you in this life, but when you pass on, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he says, while you're here, understand that I am the way to God, the way, way to my Father. I'm the truth of my Father. I'm the life of my Father. And then he says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will produce fruit. So Jesus goes into quite a bit more detail than Yahweh does back in Exodus chapter 3. But this is one of the ways that we know one of the teachings that we have here that, we, that teaches us about who God is. So, that essentially finishes chapter 3, and we will pick up next uh, Sunday night with chapter 4. Any comments or questions this evening? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you revealed yourself to Moses thousands of years ago. And Moses was diligent, faithful to record what the Spirit laid on his heart, to recall this revelation that you gave to him. It continues to be unfolded throughout the book of Exodus and, Father, as we've seen, even into the New Testament. So we do pray that what we have learned about the I Am would cause, cause us to be stable in our faith and to trust you in any and all circumstances, regardless of what life may bring and how we may endure because of your goodness and sweetness. In Jesus' name I make this prayer. Amen.